Good morning. We're going to have fun. Are you ready for this? You ready to have some fun in church? Uh, plenty of discussion because we're going to talk about the meaning of life. And really, to think about the meaning of life, it's all about time. Okay, time is going to be a huge part of that. And what a beautiful start, or actually kind of the middle part of the service this morning, to have that very famous passage from Ecclesiastes 3, uh, a time for everything spoken by the different languages up here. So that's going to be exciting. And so we're talking about the meaning of life. We're talking about time. Another way to think about this is this question. Is the good news actually good news? Is the good news actually good news? It's a really great question to ask your kid or ask your grandkids or maybe even ask yourself as you think about the meaning of life. Kelly mentioned I started an organization called AXIS started AXIS 16 years ago when I was 23 years old, right out of college. And our goal is to see Jesus at the center of a family's AXIS. We currently serve 260,000 families every single month. And it's all about the idea of what's going on in your kid's culture, how to have great conversations about that. And, you know, maybe you get a letter like this at some point. Uh, and so this was a letter that we got from a student. Um, actually... My remote control is, there it goes. Uh, we got a letter from a student. I was speaking in Homa, Louisiana, and she wrote this. She says, how do you know you wanted to be a Christian? Uh, actually, we'll, I'll go back right here. We'll see here. She says this. She says, please read. I need help. You can imagine someone, like, leaving an envelope. So we just spoke to a lot of high school students, Homa, Louisiana, right outside New Orleans. And so she writes this note. Please read. I need help. And then it says right here, how do you know when you wanted to be a Christian? How did you decide you wanted to be a Christian? What made you decide you wanted to be a Christian? And then she says this. She says, I want to live the way of the world, but I don't want to go to hell. Okay, can you imagine? You grab that as a parent. You might freak out for a second. But what we'd say at Axis is have the conversation, talk about this. And so uh, she then goes down, I've lived in church my whole life, a Christian school my whole life. I just don't think it's for me. Okay, so she's really questioning, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of pleasure? What's the meaning of enjoyment? Why am I here? We also had a young lady say this to us. She said this. She says, I've only had one real conversation with my dad. Can you imagine only having one real conversation with your dad? Now, what I loved about the honesty of both of these things, but the challenge there is like, look, we have these amazing, what, pocket rectangles, our phones. And you're having, what, if you only have one real conversation with your dad, but you're having 500 conversations with your friends every single week on your phone, there's going to be a challenge in that communication. So this is where I'd love to see us go this morning, is the idea of, is the good news actually good news? How do we think about the meaning of life? And how do we think that in the context of time? And this brings me to my first question for all of you. I'm actually going to ask you to do something unusual. I'll play some music in the background. I want you to turn to the person that you're sitting next to. If you're sitting by yourself, then maybe I'll come and talk to you. <laughs> and uh, answer this. Imagine you're to walk into a room. Okay, and if you could have any song play after you entered a room, what song would be like your theme song? All right, three, two, one, talk.
You're running out of time. Okay, I, uh, I got a Chariots of Fire. Anybody else have some great answers? Oh. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Aretha. What else? I the Tiger. There you go. Uh, okay, now, the reason I ask this question is because I like to think of what would Solomon say if Solomon were to come bursting through the doors into this church right now? And if you think about Solomon... Uh, we don't know if he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, but there's a good chance that he did. And as he starts, the author of Ecclesiastes, man, he comes out with a theme song. He says a very dynamic phrase over and over and over again. All is vanity. All is meaningless. There is no meaning to life. He says, look at the world around us. The sun, it rises. The sun, it goes down. We're just in this consistent cycle of time over and over and over again. If you look at, what, maybe the ocean, rivers flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. And then our eyes, what do our eyes do? We look around the world, and we're never satisfied. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. We're just never satisfied. And finally, there is absolutely nothing new under the sun. So this is a really bold way to start a book. This is a really bold way probably to start a letter that would be sent around to other nations about the meaning of life. And what is he saying? He's talking about time. He's saying, what is the meaning of life? Especially if time is just this cycle that just goes on and on and on and on, and it's one giant circle. So what is the meaning of life, and is the good news actually good news? So in order to do this, we're going to look at a few things. We'll look at vanity and euangelion this morning. Those will be the two topics. Let's start off with this idea of vanity. Now, what's interesting about the word vanity it's translated as meaninglessness or vanity. It's said 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'd recommend this week grabbing it. It's probably going to take you 20 minutes to read. It's a pretty short book, and it doesn't make any sense if you just read one part at a time. So you'll see, we're going to be in, we're already in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 1. We were in Ecclesiastes 3 earlier. We're about to go to Ecclesiastes 2, and then we'll go to the end of Ecclesiastes uh, before the end of the sermon. So he says vanity 38 times. So the question is, well, what does that word mean? Well, this is what it looks like in Hebrew. And then it's actually pronounced hevel. And so it means vanity, but it literally means vapor. So he's saying vapor of vapor, vapor of vapor. Everything is vapor. Have you ever tried to grasp smoke? Or have you ever lit a candle and you blow out and you see that kind of smoke kind of wither through the air? He's saying that is your life. This is our life, vanity of vanity, vapor of vapor. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. How does it even make it, uh, any sense of it all? Now, one of these days, so that would be an example of the meaning of life, but I was having a, speaking of meaning of life, I was eating a burrito at Chipotle, and it was delicious, and I said this on the cup. Can you imagine you're just sitting there uh, having an existential moment, eating a burrito, and then you read this, we are each no more than a spark, a moat illuminated for a split second as it passes through a beam of light. So, uh, yeah, that's the meaning of life right there on my Chipotle burrito cup. Uh, Bertrand Russell would say this, a famous atheist philosopher. He says, the human edifice is doomed to its extinction. So that's Bertrand. We just talked about Chipotle, talked about Solomon. But I think the person who really has this nailed, has it figured out, is the one and only Frederick the Bear. Yeah, Frederick the Bear. The Bear, 
But as with the others, Frederick had a problem of his own. His monumental fear of nothing. Not existing, to be more precise. Oceans, mountains, planets, they all come and go in the mere blink of an eye. If we do manage to survive the combined threats of global warming, internal cooling, a dwindling magnetic field, asteroids, solar flares, rogue black holes, nothing changes the fact that our sun continues on an inevitable countdown to death. Even if we did manage to flee to distant stars, they're all equally marching toward their own annihilation. Time and events work to destroy all we have ever comprehended. The decay of all matter as we know it. The decay of all life as we know it. One really has to wonder, what is the point of anything? Why continue? Why progress? Life, even in its most advanced state, is doomed to non-existence. Why? Why go on? Said the bear. Y'all are looking at me. Isn't that funny? <laughs> Here's a stuffed bear wondering about the existential threats of life and what is the meaning of life and sums it up. And actually, that's uh, Sulu's voice, or George Takai, if you're wondering who did the voice acting for that. The guy who says, oh, my. Okay, so what's the meaning of life? Solomon says it's vapor. It's vapor. All is vapor. If we go to Ecclesiastes 2, we're going to look at all the different things that he thinks are vapor. So let's look at it here. Uh, first of all, he's talking about how smart he is. Man, how smart are you? He's like, I'm this smart. I'll go up here to read. He says, I said to my, actually, let's, let's, I'm going to zoom in a little bit. Is that better? Does that work for your eyes? Um, I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is chasing after the wind. You're noticing this kind of this wind, this smoke, this vapor theme. Uh, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, the more grief. He's like, look, I am really smart. I am really wise. I have my Ph.D. I know what's going on, and I'm still disappointed. Oh, uh, this guy wrote Amusing Ourselves to Death, and I just forgot his name. He'll come, uh, Neil Postman, Neil, Neil Postman, he says this, but in the end, science does not provide the answers most of us require. Its story of our origins and of our end is, to say the least, unsatisfactory. To the question, how did it all begin? Science answers, probably by an accident. To the question, how will it all end? Science answers, uh, probably by an accident. And to many people, the accidental life is not worth living. All right, let's continue, Solomon. Let's see. So you got your PhD. Doing pretty good for yourself right there. Let's see if you have any pleasure. He says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be vapor. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So the thing is, is like Solomon, yeah, he probably experienced some great pleasure. That's what he's talking about there. But he, he probably is just missing out. He didn't know what true pleasure was. Because true pleasure is really like the lives from the, from the people in Downton Abbey. You know, Downton Abbey, they really knew what fun was, right? I think I'm about to be happy. 
And if Zeta could be as happy as I am at this moment, will you be happy? Be happy, please. Been a happy day, Robert. Your mother has made me very happy. I think I've forgotten what happiness is. Will you be happy, dear? Be happy. Perhaps Sir Richard will make me very happy. But now we must get used to feeling happy. I have no right to be unhappy. Let's end on a happy note. That is one season, okay? Just one season of Doubt and Happy. Just went through and grabbed all the clips where they talk about being happy, being happy, being happy, being happy. But come on, that was hundreds of years ago. Hundreds of years ago. They don't know what it's like to be happy. If they were Mr. Beast, then they truly would be happy. That's your $50,000 golden <laughs> steak. So can you just tell us about that? Absolutely. So our steak has been aged for four months. We smoked it for about 15 hours. We put it in a blanket of gold just to keep it warm and amazing. We think it might be the most expensive beef in the world. It's like gold tinfoil wrapped on it. That is beautiful. It's like the Geographic Channel. Here for All right. Oh, what um, is it? There it is. So if you had... You didn't see. You didn't think you'd see Mr. Beast in church, did you? But so, so here, very famous uh, YouTube influencer, uh, very interesting guy, and so he has the nicest steak in the world. So now, if Solomon had the nicest steak in the world, he wouldn't be like vapor, vapor, vanity, vanity. He'd be like, he finally found the meaning of life. I found it right here, in this ribeye cap, spinalis steak. And so, I mean, but maybe we should say he hasn't really experienced that much life. Mr. Beast hasn't. So let's see what. Jim Carrey has to say about the Please welcome two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. <laughs> and I could stop this, this terrible search. <laughs> for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. Yeah, we're just a speck on a speck. We're, we're living on a pale blue dot. We make 90 revolutions around the sun, and maybe we can have something pleasurable, and maybe we can just pursue that. And maybe a darker version of this is to look at what Philip Seymour Hoffman had to say about pleasure. I, I would definitely say pleasure is not happiness, because I think you, I kill pleasure. Like, like, I take too much of it in and therefore make it unpleasurable, like, like too much coffee and you're miserable, you know? And, and that, I do that to pleasure often, you know? And so I don't, I, I don't think yeah. there is no pleasure that I haven't actually made myself sick on. There is no pleasure that I haven't actually made myself sick on. Very famous actor, very talented actor. He's talking about coffee in this interview. But he died in 2014 alone in his apartment, face down on the floor in the bathroom with a few needles in his arm. Uh, he was an addict and just really struggled with addiction. There's no pleasure that I actually haven't made myself sick on.
So there's a dark side of this. So you have PhD. Solomon's like, I'm smart. Pleasure. He's like, I've got the pleasure. I've got all the pleasure that I want. He said, well, maybe there's something else. So I'll keep looking. And so he keeps looking. He's like, I got some stuff. What do I have? He says, I undertook great projects. Um, he says, I, I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of trees and fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Uh, I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well as the delights of, whoops, as well as the delights of man. I, Guess what? We have a rap song coming up, uh, <laughs> as well as the delights of man. So, oh, I have to click through all these again. Oh, no. So he said this word a lot. I, I, me, look at what I have. Look at all my stuff. Look at how happy I am. Look at all the good things going on for me. And uh, it kind of reminds me, he's like, uh, he's like, I've got all the money, kind of like Cardi B. Money back, money back, money back, uh, money back, money back. Okay, so maybe you don't like rap music or R&B. How about some country music? Does that work for I you? I wish I had a red jungle that it kicked the bucket and I was sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett. Or maybe, how about some nihilistic pop music from Lana Del Rey? I'm on the run with you, my sweet love. There's nothing wrong contemplating God under the chemtrails over the country club. She's thinking about her theology while wearing jewelry in the swimming pool of the country club. That's what she's working out her faith and fear and trembling. And then don't forget, I mean, we just have, you know, billionaire vigilantes who then have Legos made after them, who then have a movie about Legos made after them. Yeah, there's like a, so many layers there. And of course, there are crazy rich Asians, right? Don't forget about the crazy rich Asians. And then there's little Uzi Vert. I think this is a $20 million diamond that he had in his forehead, and, uh, you know, it's just like, as soon as you get, that's the thing, is like, all these people have totally arrived, so just keep amassing more things, and you will be happy, that is the meaning of life, just more stuff, I mean, that's, it's just kind of like this perpetual way to grow, and then you'll be happy, you'll be satisfied, just like this mouse.
are just one Black Friday away from happiness, ladies and gentlemen. It is just right around the corner. Just wait. It'll be here soon. Okay, so Solomon says, look, I've got my PhD, pleasure, possessions. And then finally, he's like, look, I am so popular. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem currently or before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. And so that's what we have to look forward to. As long as you could be popular, you know, like maybe you could make just a really great video on TikTok and become super popular like this really great video. So yeah, there, there you have it. I mean, it's, that, that potential is just with you right now. Or here, here are some other options as well. I did myself an online order. I basically bought one of everything that I could do my makeup with. Hey guys, what up? It's your girl, Liza. Come and get you. Okay, and welcome back to my YouTube channel. Yeah. What's up gamers? It's gaming time! Y'all thought I was scared of a video game made for children? I don't think so. I'm gonna play it again and I'm gonna beat it and I'm gonna kill it and it's gonna be easy. I love that we have some high school and college students in the room. Uh, hope you're enjoying these videos. <laughs> okay, so there you just become popular. That's all you have to do. Become po be the greatest of all time. Just, just be the greatest of all time. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Another Super Bowl ring. That's all you need. Just more. Just more of it. That's all you need. So Solomon's like, PhD, pleasure, possessions, popularity, I have it all. And then he turns over the other side of the page, and what does he say? He says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was vapor, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Nothing was gained under the sun. So what is the meaning of life? And that's what's pretty interesting is that if you look at all these things, he says, this I am not satisfied. Now, why is he not satisfied? Well, the answer has to do with this idea of time. How can you be satisfied if God has put eternity in your heart with temporary things? Not that the temporary things are bad. Actually, the temporary things are fantastic, but it has to do with this idea of time, and this is our life. It's just but a vapor. Okay, and speaking of vapor, my grandmother, her name was Ruby, uh, she's been gone for a long time. She died when I was eight years old. 
and her son, Mark, asked her to write her memoirs. So she says this, except for the fact not too long ago, my oldest son, Mark, asked me to write down my story. I would never have started a page with a title like memoirs. Somehow in my insignificant and wasted 54 years, so little stands out as fit to write down. But I will try to remember some good things for you to read. Now, she was being tongue-in-cheek with this, and she was being kind of humorous with this. But still, she looks back on her 54 years and says, I don't know if there's a whole lot to write down. And then eight pages later, that's the end of her story. And I just get to read some of these things and find out later on what an interesting and woman she was and all the challenges that she faced. And I'm from Texas, so I called her Meemaw. I don't know if anybody in the, in the room has a Meemaw, but she was my Meemaw. Okay, so is the good news actually good news? What does Christianity have to say to this? What does Jesus have to say to this, especially as Solomon's kind of laying out here and saying, yeah, life is meaningless, I have it all. Well, it's the idea of euangelion. Euangelion, the word evangelism or good news. So you might say evangelism is sharing the good news of the gospel. Well, if you actually define these terms, euangelion means what? It's in common Greek, means good news. So or a good message. So that's what evangelism means, euangelion. Uh, gospel, or gospel, is Old English for, let's see what it says, good news, and then guess what? Good news in English, it means good news. So what we're actually saying right here is that good newsing is sharing the good news of the good news. Evangelism is sharing the good news of the good news. It's we're being redundant, okay? So what is the good news? So news is something that happens at a place in time. So something happens, like there's a war in Ukraine, or let's say I, was, let's say I said, hey, gas prices are $2 a gallon. Wouldn't you be excited about that? Or I remember when gas prices were under a buck. Um, I was in high school filling up my Ford Ranger pickup truck. Um, or I, let's say the, the war in Ukraine's over. It'd be like, that's good news. It's something that happened at a time and a place, and everything that happens after that is different. So the good news of Christianity, according to Paul, is this. The gospel, the good news I preach to you, which you receive and which you stand and by which you are being saved is, please tell me what it is, Paul. He says this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Christ died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead. You probably know that if you're in church, but what I want you to see is what was said in between these things. What's said in between is that Christ died for our sins, okay, in accordance with the scriptures. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? And why is he going to say this twice? He says it twice. So he's buried, he's raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He's saying something happened in time, this death and resurrection happened, and it matters, and it changes the way we view reality. It changes the way we view time. It changes the way we view our lives. And so you have here, in accordance with the scripture, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but the accordance to the scripture says this happens in a historical context that we are all a part of, which is what's cool about Pentecost, is that Pentecost happens. Uh, so... Actually, something really bad happened 50 days after. Uh, a lot of Israelites were worshiping a golden calf, and a lot of people died. This is way back in history. I'm pretty sure that's right. But then the second Pentecost, a lot of people came to life because they heard about Jesus. So what's the backstory? So the backstory, and this is going to be very brief, but the backstory, Jesus comes into a world, a world that wasn't neutral, a world that just didn't show up on accident, a world that shows up that was very good. God created the world that was very good, and he put humanity inside this world and said, take care of it. Take care of it. Cultivate this world. See that it flourishes. 
God actually says, name the animals. Can you imagine Steve Jobs being like, I made this billion-dollar phone. I don't know what I should call it. Why don't you name it? No, when you make something, you name it. It's your baby. You name your baby. But God says, once you join me in the, in the cultivation of this world, name the animals. And so that's kind of high-risk behavior because Adam could have named the animals some pretty funny stuff. There are many animals. One type of animal is a bird, and some are wild, like the beach chicken, formal chicken, freedom glider, fancy butt, and the pantless thunder goose. Burbs also make good pets, like love burbs, or a mohawk, or a bouncy burb. There's also Photoshop burbs, like burbs with arms, burbs with inner legs, and when a doggo and a burb come together, that's a dirt. Heckin' rare. <laughs> Another animal is a snack. Some snacks are friendly pets and might even be snazzy, or be a scrunchie, or go for walks. Other snacks are much venom. Don't heck around with a danger noodle, or a nope rope, or a slippery tube dude. If it's not a burb, snack, dog, or a caddo, it's some other animal. And some of the other animals are aqua animals, like the panda whale, sea flap flap, the floating potato, and the American murder log. Some other other animals are land animals. Chief of all is a wizard cow. There's also the danger zebra, flop wop, tree floof, here's a tired tree floof, stab rabbit, giraffe sheep, and last but not least, the fart squirrel. So God says, the world's very good, name the animals. Then in the backstory, everything becomes broken. Everything becomes cursed. Everything becomes upside down. Adam and Eve in the garden, they disobey God. They're exiled from the garden. They're exiled from the relationship with God. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Chaos and curse slide in. And then it's very appropriate to say this. Where's the meaning of life? I ate this fruit and now my life is temporary. All is vanity. All is vapor. The backstory continues. God says, I'm not done with you, though. I'm still going to find a remnant. I'm going to find a way to be a blessing to the entire world. He decides to choose Israel, work through Israel, and through Israel to be a blessing. But the sad thing is that Israel fails, 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 and they just keep failing. And so out of Israel, though, comes Jesus. And where Israel has failed, Jesus has succeeds. Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is where Moses brought people out of slavery. Jesus brought us out of slavery into life. And so the backstory that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection shows up in is really important because he says, he shows before the death, burial, resurrection the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, I'm king now. I'm king. And so I'm going to give you meaning in life. I'm actually going to give you eternal life. To know me is eternal life. And Pastor Tim Keller says this about the gospel, the good news. The good news says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. You are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. And in this world where you get 90 years around the sun, where life is temporary, there's this new hope, this hope of eternal life, and not an eternal life that starts when you die, an eternal life that starts when you meet Jesus and when you decide to follow Jesus. And so the backstory continues, and he says it's not just over now. It's this idea of the renewal of all things, which was the song that we sang from Revelation earlier. And so the idea is not that when you die, you go to, you know, like you go to some kind of floating, you know, sweet, fat baby angels play music on harps, right? and little baby Pegasi. It's not that heaven is like in the clouds somewhere else. Revelation talks about heaven coming to earth, God dwelling with man. And so you see heaven coming to earth. You see that this garden 
Well, you see that there's a garden inside a city, but this new Jerusalem is a city. And what is a city? A city is a cultivated garden. You see everything minus the curse of chaos, the vapor of life. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, and God is going to dwell with man. And so that's where we get our hope as we look at this idea of time. You look at creation, curse, Israel, Jesus, and renewal, and we find ourselves somewhere after Jesus, somewhere waiting for this renewal time. So the question we get to ask ourselves is this, is what is beautiful that I can celebrate? Or what is missing that I can create? Or what is an evil that I can stop? Or what is broken that I can fix? How can I join God in the renewal of all things? How can I join God in the renewal of things in sports camp that's happening this week at church? N.T. Wright would say this. He says, a herald isn't offering people a new type of torch so they could see better in the dark. Rather, they are someone, so a herald is someone who brings good news. Rather, they are someone saying that the sun has risen, and if you'd only open the curtains, you don't you'd see that you don't need torches or flashlights anymore. And I think that's what Ecclesiastes is getting at here. When you turn the page from the PhD, pleasure, possessions, popularity, you have the passage that we read this morning. There's a time for everything. And how can we make sense of this statement? And this is, how, this is why popularity doesn't make sense. This is why possessions don't make sense. This is why pleasure doesn't make sense. This is why knowledge doesn't make sense. God has put eternity in a man's heart. So we have eternity in our heart. We're not going to be satisfied with temporary things unless we anchor ourselves to God first. And then knowledge makes wonderful sense. Then pleasure is given context. Then possessions are a way to love God and love our fellow man. And then popularity is a way to use our influence for good. And so you see kind of the summary statement that happens at the very end of Ecclesiastes, or toward the end. He says, there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? God gives context so that we have meaning in life. God gives us that context so that we can enjoy popularity, pleasure, possessions, and knowledge. And this brings me to my final thought, final question for you all. And then I'll show a, a video clip, and then, and then I will have a, a song and be done. What is our 500-year plan? What is your five, not your five-year plan, not your five-month plan, your 500-year plan? Our kids are dead. Our great-great-great-grandbabies are dead. Have we passed on the faith of the rising generation? Or as that young lady said to me, and I mentioned earlier, she says, I've only had one real conversation with my dad. Now, the sad thing about this story is it gets worse before it gets better. Her dad is a pastor. Her dad was a Christian university president for two decades. Her dad was an Axis board member. And she says, I've only had one real conversation with my dad. Her dad is one of my heroes. I couldn't believe that she said this. But then she smiled, and she said it again. She says, I've only had one real conversation with my dad. And we've never stopped having that one conversation. It's the idea that you get to have one conversation with your kids that lasts a lifetime. You get to have one conversation with your grandkids that lasts a lifetime. And so instead of me just thinking, oh, this is a huge loss, I realize that is a huge win. And so as you think about the meaning of life and time and, and death and vapor, think about this. This is, uh, this is from a psalm. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. 
things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. What is it saying? It says, tell your kids what God has done in your life. Tell your grandkids what God has done in your life. As you've maybe sought something out and you found out it was meaningless, tell them how God has brought meaning to what is meaningless. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now you might be saying, you might be feeling a little frustrated. Maybe your kid doesn't want to listen to you right now. Or maybe you have a hard relationship with your child. Mark Twain said it like this. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished by how much he'd learned in seven years. <laughs> and so the idea of just hang in there, have that one year, uh, that one conversation with your kids that lasts a lifetime. Of course, that's what Access is all about. We help equip parents to have great conversations with their kids. And so this is the last video I want to show you. And uh, this is from Kevin Durant. This is when he was the NBA MVP at the Oklahoma City Thunder. He now plays with different teams since then. I took his speech and chopped it up into small pieces. I want you to see who he thanks at the end of this speech. First off, I'd like to thank God for changing my life. Perks, Nick, Tavo, Karan, Serge, Jeremy Perry, Andre, Steve, and Reggie, Big Kiwi, Grant, Russ, Mr. Bennett, Sam Presti, Troy Weaver, uh, beautiful fans, my brother Tony, dad, my little brother Rayvon, Cliff, Charlie, Vernon, Tay, Randy, Ryan, my grandma, and, and last, my mom. We weren't supposed to be here. You made us believe. You kept us off the street, put clothes on our backs, food on the table. When you didn't eat, you made sure we ate. You went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed for us. You're the real MVP. Just like to thank God again. He's the first and the last, Alpha and Omega. I thank you for saving my life. So this morning, we talked about the meaning of life. We talked about time. We talked about the good news, and we talked about the power of parents and families and grandmas and grandpas and how to tell your story to your kids of what God has done in your life, why you're a Christian, how you've run into some walls, how you've made some huge mistakes, but how you found the true meaning of life is in Jesus. I want to say thank you to this church, thanks to the teens for inviting me to speak here, and thanks be to God. Remember, hold on to that because there's so many voices that are saying the meaning of life comes in all these different areas. And at this church, you get to say to your kids, no, true life is Jesus. He's the way and the truth and the life.